Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma. Bonnie, happy 2021. Woo! Day three of 2021, and we are going strong. Right? We have survived. We have not, um, we have not, what's the word I'm looking for? We've not relapsed into 2020 yet. <laughs> we haven't taken four steps back into last year. <laughs> No, but I know a lot of us probably will at some point. So, well, we're we're. I think everyone is trying to like start this year off with positive vibes. So hopefully that just carries through, and this year is a different year. Yeah, and I and I really believe it will be. Uh, I know this time last year we were making all the jokes about how we could see so much clearer in twenty twenty. Uh, boy, were we wrong. Wow, like we were so naive. Like we were just like talking all this talk. Remember our um, like resolutions and it was all be more mentally fit, be more financially fit and like all this like health and financial health and all this stuff. And then, bam, (laughs) the pandemic said, nope. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, some of us still did okay. Um, Right. You know, I want to go back and listen to that show. And I lost my goals. I think I lost my goal sheet about six weeks or seven weeks in so mid-february late february but i think i made most of my resolutions knock on wood but yeah there were some there that were definitely um yeah the, those got tossed into the dumpster fire that was 2020 yeah you know it's just because some of them were not really feasible you know right. like i mean everyone jokes about the quarantine 15 you know and that was one of my resolutions was definitely to be more physically healthy so that kind of blew that. I mean, not that that's really a complete excuse, but it kind of is. Apologies, but my dog is squeaking his toy in the background. No, but, you know, we had all those resolutions that kind of were harder to achieve in the year that we just had. You know, not impossible, but definitely quite a bit harder. No, and I, and I think you're right. I think a lot of people had plans that, you know, once March and April rolled in and everything started to kind of go real haywire. Uh, got put on the back burner or just completely forgot. And I think that's okay. Um, You have to make adjustments as is. Yeah, I think people definitely kind of went into survival mode. Like we were all in a situation that we've never been in before. I mean, we're still in that situation just because it's a new year. doesn't mean it's all over. But it's. I think that's what happened is everybody who had all these plans, they were like, well, like you said, these have to go on the back burner because I'm kind of just in – survival mode as in i need to make sure i can still pay my bills i need to make sure i stay sane you know like that kind of thing so i think that's what took priority right and i you know i think a lot of us have a new i I don't want to necessarily say mental clarity but i'm going to say mental clarity about how things need to happen going forward and obviously you know 2020 brought a lot of challenges there's no doubt about that so Going forward, I think we have a better idea of how we're going to handle, one, stressful situations, and Mm -hmm. two, um, situations that we might not necessarily be prepared for. I I think that you're right. This kind of made us stronger in a way, like just as humans, like, you know what I mean? Like we just kind of had to, we were forced to figure it out, learn stay healthy, stay safe, protect ourselves and others. And so it kind of was like a crash course and just figuring out a major crisis. So I, I definitely think like that will have, we will have learned a lot of lessons out of this. So that's a benefit. It was just a rough lesson to learn. No, you're completely right. Well, 2021 has, you know, started off kind of with a bang. Uh, We talked about it in our little show promo that we taped right before New Year's. So if you guys have not seen that, head over to our Twitter page at Weather Podcast. It's on Instagram as well and Facebook, which we'll get Bonnie back on Facebook here shortly. Uh, That's a whole different situation that 2020 has rolled over for us. Anyways, um, (laughs) yeah, we started off with uh, two bangs back to back. Some nice winter storms. Bonnie, you guys got 
some snow, a lapse, and then you got more snow. So let's jump into the most recent one because I think that's the one that's most fascinating. Um, lay down the, the groundwork for what the forecast was. You know, I think that it was not, it was super uncertain. Like, I think what they expected us to have, especially around my area, was a couple of inches, if that. And I just feel like the day before and the day of, it just really started to escalate. And we went from a winter weather advisory to a winter storm warning. And it started raining and that started to freeze. And so I kind of got concerned that we were about to have another ice storm. But luckily, it all switched over to snow overnight, but it was snow on top of a good layer of ice. But it was, yeah, it was a crazy storm. So you mentioned the forecast was very uncertain, and we had seen that change, mm-hmm. gosh, a dozen times leading up to the event where, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, well, Oklahoma City is going to get pounded with snow. Great. Then the forecast completely backs off of that, and then it's like, oh, well, we might get a little icing. Uh, could probably just be cold rain. And then mm-hmm. a lot of the focus shifted toward, like, North Texas. Oh, Dallas is going to be in for it. They're going to get a little bit of ice, and it could be bad. And then the forecast again shifted. And it was one of those things that I know that, you know, as weather nerds that you and I are, every time a new model run and a new model solution comes out and it's different, it makes you pause and it makes you think, Oh boy. Okay. What's actually going to happen? Yeah. It really makes you lose all, I don't want to say faith, but it just makes you lose all, you know, certainty. You're just kind of like, well, now I really don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be, you know, 20 feet of snow or it's going to be a dusting. Like you just, you, there's, you know, I don't know. And that's, that's really how it was. It, it, it wobbled back and forth for several days and then, you know, the chips fell in our favor and got a really good amount of snow here in central Oklahoma, which doesn't always happen because central Oklahoma likes to be on the line where the freezing line sets up. It's usually right through central Oklahoma and it's wobbling back and forth. So central Oklahoma is always the one that gets the mixed bag of treats of cold rain, sleet, snow, rain, freezing rain, snow. And it, and it was like that actually for a little while. It was It was mixed up for a little bit and then it figured it out and it just was like all snow and we were like, yay. So when you and I were talking last night driving back, I was out storm chasing. We'll get into that in a minute. But uh, you had mentioned that, you know, the freezing line had just kind of hovered around Oklahoma City, maybe just a little bit farther south. So like Norman was, I think, at 32. Moore was at either 31 or 32. But mm-hmm. it's pouring down rain and it's yes. it's freezing rain at this point, And the ice accumulation is starting to build up pretty quick. Yes. And I mean, it it was pouring down rain. It wasn't just, you know, oh, a steady little rain. It was pouring down rain. Um, The yards and things like that weren't really getting a good glaze. A little bit of ice was forming. The roads were hit and miss icy, but everything elevated was starting to get a good coating. Like I've got a grill right outside my back door. It was completely had a coating of ice. The chain link fence around my backyard, coating of ice, my half a tree, (laughs) coating of ice and it and the next day you could hear it when the wind blew you could hear the branches making that like crunchy ice sound so it was really reminiscent of the ice storm from october but the ice just was not as that thick but yeah if if it had stayed like that or if it had gotten just a hair colder but it stayed as rain i think we would have had another pretty significant ice storm because like i said pouring down rain cats and dogs frog strangler the whole thing right trout and cows <laughs> yes <laughs> there's a tor- there's a tornado reference in there you guys will get it anyways so it's pouring down rain and then all of a sudden bonnie the silence factor hits and that pouring down rain transitions into snow one there's no more for me no more eerie sound especially in winter weather than that changeover where you can hear the rain falling you know it's freezing rain and then it starts snowing or the opposite where it's all snow. And then you're like, oh, here it comes. And just that eeriness of, okay, we have now a complete changeover. And you guys went from the bad to the good, which was snow. And you guys ended up getting several inches of snow on top of a pretty decent layer of ice. Yes. Um, in my backyard, I'll be honest, I didn't go out and officially measure, but it looked like around four inches to me in my backyard. Um, 
but I've got like a shed and a tree. And so some of the areas, you know, were probably less or more than what actually fell just because, you know, but it looked like about four inches, you know, it went up pretty far on Clyde's leg while he was walking around. So that's also kind of how I gauged that. But yeah, I, I, uh, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and my room felt more illuminated than normal. I remember we talked about this last night. And that was because there was all the snow on the ground. So all the street lights were reflecting off the snow and putting extra light out into the universe. So I woke up to go to the restroom and I looked out and it was just a blanket of snow on everything. And this was like three o'clock in the morning, New Year's Day. And and then I woke up at whatever, eight or whatever in the morning and we had it was, it was more snow than what I had saw in the middle of the night. So it was so the perfect way to wake up on new year's day, like the perfect way to start 2021 with a decent snow. Well, that is fantastic. Now let's jump into the meteorology of what happened. So yeah, you guys had been sitting at freezing all day long and mm-hmm. then just, I mean, the temperature jumping up and down right around there. Now you look at the radar mosaic that was coming out of Oklahoma city and, you know, I love the products that have the, you know, the different um, hydro classifications, right? So it's either rain, snow, sleet, dry snow, wet snow. And you can all tell what it looks like based on what dual pole or dual pole radar will show. With that said, you guys were getting these massive amounts of heavy rain for a long time, which told us that, okay, we know the surface is freezing. We know somewhere up above it's relatively warmer and then you know obviously it's snow that's falling through the clouds and melting them becoming rain but Mm -hmm. to watch that trend that changeover and i mean it wasn't just like you know a progression of hours it was more of minutes where finally you had this injection of cold top to bottom that changed it over to snow yes because i was laying in bed this was new year's eve and it was midnight and it was pouring down rain and freezing rain and i was listening to people popping off fireworks so at midnight it was still raining and then when i woke up at three in the morning is when we had that legit blanket of snow across everything so in that three hour period it switched over to snow and it switched over to heavy snow enough to drop multiple inches in a very short amount of time. So you're right. It was like the blink of an eye that it went from rain to snow. Right. I want to say even SPC issued a just kind of, I don't want to say it was a watch or warning, more of an advisory that, you know, the the precipitation was going to be making that changeover. Um, I know I saw it. I don't think I retweeted it, but uh, it was fascinating to watch because like you said, you know, not only addition to you had heavy rain, um, there were reports of thunder snow in the area. I know you said that uh, down in Norman they had, uh, thunder snow and you know shout out to Jim Cantori too bad he wasn't there to you know absolutely freak out like we all want to do I wonder how many times he gets tagged in like hey we have thunder snow here like just ever since that's happened I uh, bet he gets tagged in that stuff millions of times oh I'm sure and he loves each and every you know each and every time I guarantee that and I've seen people <laughs> that have tagged him in thunderstorm he's just like that's the most epic thing ever <laughs> uh I want to watch that video. I feel like I don't watch it enough. No, it's fantastic. I mean, all of them. The The Jim Cantore Snow Thunder compilation is amazing. It's it's so good, you know, and that is, he's the epitome of a big weather nerd. Like right. we are, we all feel that way when there's thunder snow. We're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, but he's on film jumping around in it. And he's like our God. Yeah. <laughs> there is a, a video, weather nerd god. Right. There is a video and I don't know if it's on YouTube or not, but I have seen it. I saw it on Twitter come out years ago. He's in New York City. There's a, a big blizzard affecting the Northeast, and they get thunder snow in like downtown New York City. And he's broadcasting from one side of Central Park. I think Rob Marciano on either CNN or ABC is up maybe like two hundred yards from him. If that, I mean, maybe 100 yards, but just out of camera sight. And so the thunderstorm goes off, and all of a sudden, Jim Cantore is hopping around and yell, Hey, Robbie! You know, they're both, you know, Italian guys, and so they have that natural brotherhood, but, you know, they're both, like, geeking out with each other. I'm just like, you know, this is why weather is cool. Yes, exactly. It's these kind of things, and then people's reaction to them. That is yep. just, that's what does it. That's that's why we love it. So, right. yes, anytime there's thunder snow. And it happened during our ice storm in October yep. where it was thundering during that too. And it's just, 
it's just because that is instability. That's what's causing that thunder and lightning. And it's, so it's crazy that there is a little instability in the freezing rain or snowing to cause some thunder and lightning. It's just so fascinating. It really is. Now, let me ask you this, because you're more the meteorologist than I am. I've heard that snow creates more friction within the clouds, which would lend toward more chances of thunder snow or thunder snow, but I can't verify that. And, you know, I, I'll be honest, you know, and you give me too much credit as the meteorology expert. I put quotes around that because I am not 100% sure either. But from what I understand is it's it's really just a winter thunderstorm. So whatever it takes to get a garden variety basic little thunderstorm is happening in the atmosphere, but it's happening in winter. So the precip that's coming out is not rain, it's snow. And you get your little bit of thunder and lightning with it. So I just pulled up on pop science because I can do this now. <laughs> and I just literally Googled, does snow create friction within clouds? And it says no. But we know necessarily it's, you know, you can still get thunderstorms. It goes there are not enough updrafts to create the friction which you need for uh, lightning and thunder. So uh, it says in snowy months, the atmosphere is cold and dry throughout. So there's no updraft to create friction within the clouds. Wind stirs the molecules and crystals some, but that action rarely generates enough electric field to spark lightning. So, yeah. So they can. So get it's it. really like a crazy phenomenon. Whenever there is thunder snow, it's like. Yeah. I mean, it happens. It doesn't happen frequently, but I mean, obviously, it happens multiple times. You know, like it's happened a lot. It's not some, you know, unicorn that never happens. But yeah, it's still just one of those things. It's not like fully understood, but mostly understood, I guess. All right. Well, according. Okay. Well, according to the University of Oklahoma, and I'll read the article, part of it says wintry conditions limit lightning strikes to an average of just six times a year across the country in winter storms. Okay. So, so, so well, I think we've blown that out of the water in Oklahoma in 2020. Yeah. So, well, but that also explains why it's such a rare phenomenon and why Jim Cantore would freak out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is a rare phenomenon and it's just, it's combining two different weather phenomenon basically that you know it's it's so it's it's amazing right and i love it so uh, this article says nearly every summer rainstorm comes with thunder and lightning yet during the blizz the blusterous blizzard there's nearly a spark in the air it can occur although snow lightning strikes just six times a year on average in the u.s but winter air doesn't make for prime lightning forming conditions says meteorologist Raman tamanachi of the university of oklahoma during the summer, the lower atmosphere is full of warm, humid air. Above that, the cold and full of above that, it's cold and full of ice crystals. As the warm air rises, it carries water vapor with it. These molecules brush against the ice crystals, and this friction creates an electric field in the cloud, like scuffing your feet across the carpet. The ice crystals gain a slight positive charge, and the updraft carries them to the top of the cloud, giving the cloud's bottom a net negative charge. Once the difference between the negatively charged cloud bottom and positively charged cloud top becomes great enough, a bolt arcs between them. But in snowy months, as I said, the atmosphere is cold and dry throughout, so there's no updraft to create friction within the clouds. Wind stirs the molecules and crystals some, but that action rarely generates a strong enough electric field to spark lightning. So is it just like like a fluke? Yeah. Windiness up in the upper atmosphere that causes that? Or, or there's enough moisture within the mid-levels of the cloud and it's active enough with an updraft that it can do that. I but, wonder what would cause an updraft, though, I mean, well, in the winter. It, okay, but anything could, right? Um, topography. Yeah. You know, yeah. air hitting a mountain and being forced up could do it. Um, you could possibly, and I'd, I'd have to go back and look to see where these have occurred. I'm guessing more mountainous regions. I'm guessing areas like upstate New York are along where the Great Lakes are because you have the relatively warmer Great Lakes, you know, where you get the lake effect snow, where you have that. Do you think it happens more when there is a freezing rain going on because that Ooh. means there is a warm layer? It could be. It very well could be. Um, you have to have some type of warm, moist air, right, within the system to get that 
that charge effect, as I just said, and as we know. But it could be the warm air coming off of an ocean. could be warm air coming off of the Great Lakes. Uh, it could be a warm sector, a warm tongue, if you do, if you do say, um, <laughs> you know, within within the system. But it's we've we've seen it happen, so we know it's it's it definitely does happen. Um, I just think it's one of those things, though, where the conditions have to be absolutely perfect. Yeah, and they they line up just right, right for the moment, and you get your your thunder snow, and, and then we all lose it, like Jim Cantori. Yes, we do. And again, if, if it's only averaging six times a year, that tells me it's a one-time bolt in a one-time scenario. Yeah. Where if you get multiple strikes or multiple rumbles of thunder, you know, conditions are way prime. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that's what it was like when we, during the ice storm, it was multiple rumbles of thunder. And, and I'm sure the other night it was thundering here a little bit, but with the fireworks going off, I couldn't <laughs> tell what was what. I mean, come on. How great is it? It's midnight. We're it's New Year's. We're changing over, and we're outside lighting off fireworks in freezing rain. I just and you know these people are wearing overalls with no shirt and holding a Keystone beer while they're doing it. Like, Ab- I, that's so Oklahoma to be lighting off fireworks in the middle of freezing rain. Hey, it is. You know what? But these are the same people that also sit on their roofs and watch tornadoes. <laughs> we're a different breed around here, I guess. <laughs> yes, you are, and I don't live there, and I already know this. <laughs> we we're more like friends with the weather. We're not so much <laughs> not friends with the weather. <laughs> right. You you guys have a love and appreciation for said weather. Exactly. You know, we have to. We experience so much of it, we have to start forming some sort of relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't, well, now you can start. So exactly. I, just a fascinating setup for you guys, snow wise. And I know that you said last night you guys still have some leftover on the ground, which is amazing. So, uh, 2021 start off good for you guys. Um, for me, I was in central Oregon. Again, if you saw the video, you, you understood that. Um, I was really bummed because where my family goes on vacation, the elevation is about 4,300 feet. Uh, the resort has about a hundred foot elevation gain from its lowest point to its highest point, which, you know, in mountain meteorology is not really a whole lot, but we'll, we'll take what we can get. So there were some snow showers the day before I arrived and, you know, the forecast had said, and eh, there's going to be, you know, a chance or two of actual snowfall while you're there. So I was like, all right, this is going to be great. So I knew that we had two incoming lows, uh, pressure systems, but because I'm on the east side of the Cascades downslope from, you know, the mountains, yeah, it limits the amount of available moisture, right? We know that once air descends over the backside of a mountain range it has a tendency to dry out quickly and it will dissipate uh less rain okay rain shadow effect uh very textbook but mm-hmm. get there it's cold a little bit of flakes in the air i'm like oh this is gonna be great well go to bed get woken up by a text message at three o'clock in the morning by the way when i go on vacation or i go sleep in another bed it's terrible for me the first night yeah like i'm, I'm just, the same way like it's not your pillow not your bed and you're right. like meh yeah, not not fun. You toss and turn the whole line. Anyways, 3 a.m., I get a text from National Weather Service through the INWS um, program, and it's like, cool, winter weather advisory for your location. Could see four to six inches. And I'm like, yes, my Christmas dream is going to come true. There's already going to be <laughs> snow on the ground. It's not going to melt off. In theory, that's a white Christmas in my book, so I'm good to go. <laughs> so, I, you know, I end up waking up like at 7 a.m., you know, rush downstairs. My little sister loves to mock my weather nerdiness, uh, nerdiness, but she also appreciates it because she's like, what's the weather going to do? And I was like, you won't believe this, but we're under a winter storm advisory. We're going to get four to six inches. It's going to be great. So all day long, I'm just like, I can't wait till four o'clock when the advisory starts. It's going to go for 24 hours. This is going to be fantastic. Four o'clock rolls around. Look at the radar. Some spotty showers. Now, I will say this, where I'm on vacation, there is very little radar coverage, if any at all. Okay. So I'm looking, if I see any radar returns in the area, it's literally the top of the clouds, like 37,000 feet, anything that's reflecting back to the Portland radar or the Medford radar. The radar in Pendleton, which is the (laughs) warning forecast area that controls Sun River, Oregon, the radar doesn't even reach it. Wow. Yeah. It's one of the largest gaps in the contiguous United States. But it's like, okay, I mean, I have a little bit to work with. Now, I can tell, looking at clouds, I can tell by the wind, yeah, 
we'll probably get something. Well, four o'clock rolls around, spin snow a little bit. I'm jazzed. Great. It's the start of going to be a big event. I bought some skis. I get to use those around the, you know, the ranch. It's going to be awesome. By midnight, it's 36 degrees. Oh. And nothing's happening. Oh. And I'm, I'm trying not to be heartbroken, but I am. Because I get hyped up on this stuff. And I want a forecast to verify when it's issued. I want a winter storm advisory. I want a snow advisory. I want a wind advisory. I want, you know, winter storm warnings and tornado warnings and all these things to verify. And I'm sitting in the hot tub at midnight and it's basically clear overhead. The moon's out. It's really pretty. I can see a lot of stars. But I'm constantly looking at the weather station that is half a mile from me at the owner's association. I'm looking at the other temperature sensor, which is at the ODOT um, camera hub about two miles away. And both of them are like 33, 36, 32, 33, 34. And they're just constantly just bouncing up and down right on that line. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, let me look at the dew point because I know if we can saturate the atmosphere, at least the temperature will drop a little bit. And it's like 18 degrees. So I was like, all right, there's plenty of dry air here. We just need some moisture. Bonnie, the moisture never showed up. That's so rude. Like It was terrible. It was terrible. All you needed was the moisture. And it was just like, meh, I think I'm going to skip this party. Literally. And it was terrible. (laughs) And I was like, this is, I was heartbroken. And I was like, okay, well, I know we're going to get a couple more chances of snow. I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely sell out on this, but all right. So next couple days, you know, I get over there on the 24th, the 25th, we were supposed to have the snow is going to be the white Christmas. We ended up getting a little bit of snow Christmas day night. And it was big fat flakes for about 25 minutes, little bit of a dusting in my book that counts white Christmas. Boom. Done. That's awesome. <laughs> And we already had snow on Check it off. Yeah, and we already had snow and ice on the ground. So, you know, I was going to be there for a few more days. And I was like, okay, I'll keep watching the weather forecast. Eventually, we will get some more snow. Well, we get ready to leave on the 30th, so five days ago. And because I flew over, my mom rode with my younger sister, her husband, and my nephew. There's not enough room for me and all of the presents and everything else to come back. So we're going to rent a car. So we go into Bend, rent a car, come back to Sun River. And it's funny, on the way out, I'm checking the phone, the weather, and my mom turns, she goes, oh, those are my Mattis clouds. And I'm like, yeah, where? And sure enough, big field of my Mattis clouds. And I was like, okay. And again, my younger sister, who mocks my weather nerdiest, is like, um, what are those? I'm like, it just usually, you know, indicates that there's pretty turbulent air within um, a cloud system or, you know, an incoming front, uh, it indicates, usually indicates pretty severe weather. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not, this is not one of those setups, right? Um, right. being down range of a mountain, uh, a mountain range, I'm sorry. Yeah. Being on the East side of a mountain range, you can see these clouds somewhat because air is turbulence being forced up and over the top of a natural structure. And then, you know, it, it creates eddies and, waves and all the stuff. So it's not uncommon to see this in Eastern and Central Oregon. But I was like, okay, so I'm just kind of watching it a little bit closer. And as you drive out of Sun River and you head north into Bend, uh, there's a portion of the highway that becomes really elevated. It's the highest point in the city outside of some of the little like shield volcanoes that dot the area. And looking back down to the south toward where we were staying, you could see that there were multiple, multiple heavy showers of snow like oh. up up on the edge of the Cascades, and they were drifting down toward where we were staying, down toward Ben. And I was like, okay, uh, I like what I see. I'm leaving today. So I'm like, I already have to drive over one mountain pass, but uh, let's see what happens. <clears throat> so get the car. It's sunny and beautiful in Bend. It's cold. It's like 33 degrees. And I'm like, you know, if I were a betting man, I would put $5 on that. It's going to snow somewhere today. So I get the car, <laughs> head back to Sun River, and pull in, get ready to start packing. And you know there are times where you just feel like something's about to happen. Like you don't have to even see a radar 
or a satellite, your weather senses tell you something's about to happen? Yes, that happens to me a lot in the spring. Like I right. get that like tingling feeling and there's that smell in the air yep. and you're like, mm. Yeah. Yep. I got that. And I'm like, it's going to, and I told my brother-in-law, I'm like, it's going to start dumping snow. He's like, are you sure? I was like, I just have this sense. And a couple flakes start falling, spitting snow a little bit. All of a sudden the wind picks up and it starts dumping snow. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, of course. Now as we're leaving, you know, this is happening. And you know, the temperature at the time is 36 degrees. It's it's definitely snowing. It's sticking. Um, you know, there's a lot of cold air that's being forced to the ground. So, you know, you might not necessarily moderate the temperature all that well, but it's it's definitely sticking. And it's starting to, you know, kind of accumulate on the bark dust and the areas that remain really cold or the areas of the street that are already frozen. So it's like, okay, I know the showers is eventually going to end. It's not like I'm going to be trapped here. Not that it wouldn't matter anyways. We had to leave. But... I'm just watching the snow come down, and it's just like, oh, it's so pretty. And then just like that, it's done. Oh. Sun's back out, and you're like, ah, all right, fine. There's our one big snow shower. So driving home, drive back into Bend, and apparently the snow shower that we had in Sun River was going north. So all of a sudden, we're back into it. So it's snowing as we get into Bend. It's not accumulating. It's way too warm. But again, it's one of those things where the cold air that's coming down with the snow is allowing it to survive all the way to the ground. The ground's too mm-hmm. warm, but it's there. So start heading west, get through Sisters and portions of a place called Blackfeet Ranch. By the way, you would love Central Oregon. Um, it's high desert. It's beautiful. Uh, you can see mountains, and it's it's one of the, it's one of the most beautiful places I think in the United States. But again, that's just me. So I want to come see all of Oregon. I want to go to the coast. I want to see all of it. I, yeah. I just feel like it's gorgeous up there. You got to come see it. And, and I want to come explore more of Oklahoma than just driving, you know, I-40 and the whatever the north to south route is from uh, from Dallas to Salina, Kansas. I-35. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, hey, I did get to spend six hours by myself at the National Weather Center, and that was pretty cool. So, yep. Because you, you go right past it, kind of, yep. on I-35. Yep. On, on a Sunday, and the security guard's like, yeah, just come in and look around. Feel free. Okay, cool. Thanks. It's a nice facility. It is. It is. The Flying Cow Cafe was cool. I was bummed it was closed, but still cool to see. They've got good food in there, too. That's what you were saying. We'll have to hit it up when I'm in Oklahoma, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so anyway, so, you know, we see all these snow showers up on the Cascades, I'm checking the past cams, and it's like, yeah, we got six inches of new snow, but the road is clear. There are some spots of ice. And I was like, all right. So we start heading up over the mountains. Sure enough, we get up above about 4,000 feet, and we're going through the pass, and there's snow everywhere. There's snow on the ground. It's melted off the road. They've plowed it you know, pretty regularly, so it's, it's pretty easy driving. But oh, I have a time-lapse video. I'm not sure if I'm going to post it or not yet. Um, my GoPro was doing something really weird where it wouldn't save chunks of video and it would save others. So oh, it's, weird. it's really kind of chunky. So I might just put it together and, you know, say, Hey, this is what happened. But, uh, it was cool to drive through the snow, a uh, bunch of heavy snow showers, consistent snow, which was nice at the summit, uh, at Santa Ann pass. So that was cool. Uh, and then we drove down through highway 22 back towards Salem. We went through the town of Detroit, which was pretty much devastated by uh, uh, the major wildfires we had in September. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was very surreal to see. And mm-hmm. I want to go back in on a day where it's sunny just to get a really good view of the damage. Now, normally I would drive west to east if I was heading over to Bend or Black Butte or Central Oregon. And, you know, I know what that drive looks like driving west to east it's locked in my mind i know where the trees are and you know not having made that drive and then coming back east to west it was very very surreal to see a lot of the places that i think i know what they look like that aren't there anymore um it was surreal to pull into the town of detroit and not see certain buildings and i had seen you know video and pictures of them uh after being burned down and you know, a lot of the town has come in and kind of cleaned that up, but there are still some, you know, random solo standing chimneys that are still there on a, on a house site. Um, 
the uh, general store that we stop at to use the bathroom and get, you know, snacks and refreshments is still there. It did not burn down, which, you know, was very was a very good sign. But they were closed. So I don't know if they're going to open, but it was just it was heartbreaking. And then not just Detroit Lake, but the towns even to the west of that. Um, And you get a real good sense real quick of how fire does spread in a natural environment where all of a sudden a row of houses survive, but the next ones don't. And you see how spotting affects, you know, forward advancing fires and how wind really is a big factor. Yeah. Wind is, is the main factor. I would think just, it gives the direction, you know, it tells the fire where it's going to go. So yeah, definitely. It's crazy. It's like that with tornadoes too, or like one house will be completely destroyed and then a house two two down from it is fine. Right. And it's just crazy. It is crazy. And, you know, looking at how a river acts as a fire break, but you know, you still see spots where you could tell that the fire jumped the river and one whole side of a canyon is completely burned while the opposite side, which was downwind, survived. And you're like, how does this how does this work? How does, you know, this portion burn, but this portion doesn't or, you know, just so many questions. And so, like I said, I want to go back up there on a day where it's sunny, where I can really actually stop and look around. But the devastation was very real and very evident. And yeah, well, and they, you know, that's why fire weather is, is a thing because yeah. it kind of behaves weather like, you know, there's all kinds of factors that determine where it burns, where it goes, how it hops the river. Like, so when people think fire weather, what's that? Like, it's it's kind of a thing. <laughs> no, very much so it is. And, you know, there's a reason why the National Weather Service has fire meteorologists. That's why the Forest Service has their own you know, a fire meteorologist. That's why, you know, it's an area of study that they want a lot of people to go into because it's not necessarily well known. Yes, exactly. you have fire science, but you don't necessarily tie fire science in with weather when it comes to the natural landscape. And so that's why you have, you know, these specialists that do this because they have that, you know, that pretty good understanding of what's going to happen. And again, it's completely unpredictable. We know the parameters. We know what could happen. We know what's likely to happen, but we really don't know what will happen until it it does. And so, you know, if you can somehow, you know, factor that into a forecast and turn that into a career, you can make a lot of money. And, you know, you'd be out there saving communities and saving lives and property, which, you know, is a pretty awesome calling. Yeah. Well, and then knowing the microclimates of your area is also going to help you determine which way a fire is going to go or how it's going to burn this area or whatever, because you understand how the wind flows through this valley or the moisture content of this area, like that kind of thing, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. It's so true. So true. So it was just, it was fascinating to see. And I do have some video of that. I did take a time lapse driving through the burn zone where you can see portions of, you know, all of a sudden, oh, look, there's the lake. And I know for a fact there was a good, you know, 200 yards of forest between the highway and the lake. But you can see through it now. Um, the topography that was revealed by the trees either have now be cut or, you know, were burned and they fell is mind-blowing to me. And you just see how rugged things actually are. I mean, with, you know, giant mountains of, of trees... Everything looks very smooth for the most part, like a dense forest. You see the treetops look smooth. You never see what's beneath it. Uh-huh. And now you do. And it's just, it's mind blowing that a forest can basically glow, grow on the side of a cliff. Yeah. Where there's rocks and there's yep. little ledges and like just, yeah, it's not just like, a, like you said, like a smooth ground and then the trees come out of it and it looks smooth. Like underneath all that, it's a bunch of you know, bumpiness. Yeah. And so that, that to me was fascinating to see. Um, the cleanup is still underway. A lot of people, you know, I don't know if they're going to choose to rebuild or not. I will say this. I think the forest service and the state and the federal government have done a really good job of coming in and helping to now establish new fire breaks. And we know that history does tend to repeat itself, that fires will burn in the same area again. However, they've done a really good job of now clearing out wide swaths of down trees to help build that new natural fire break. So, you know, hope and pray that it doesn't affect these things. And again, it wasn't like, you know, you hear the fire takes out the entire, you know, forest. It's not true. It's it's spotty. 
and there's yeah. still healthy trees and dead trees in the mix. And that's, you know, fire is part of nature's landscape. We know this. It's been, you know, talked about since day one. It's how do we control it? How do we mitigate it? How do we make it so it's effective but also less damaging? Well, and nature really does need the fires. Sure. Like, that resets the land, basically, that gets rid of old stuff and prepares the ground for new vegetation to grow. So it is definitely like something that that nature needs. It's just when it's threatening homes and communities and, you know, that's where we come in to to mitigate it, like you said. Yep. Exactly. And it's, it's beneficial. Fire is beneficial to the forest. It's just how do we, you know, manage it so it, it remains beneficial, but yet less damaging. So uh, it was, it was very sobering to see. Um, I'm glad I got to see it. Uh, I was bummed that it was pouring down rain the entire time because I would have liked to stop and kind of looked around a little bit more. But like I said, I'll go do that when I have a, a free day and it's sunny out. But um Weather-wise, that's what, you know, our my Christmas looked like. I'm glad that we finally got a little bit of snow once we got um, to Central Oregon. It, it wasn't like in years past where we had four feet of snow on the ground or, you know, eight inches of snow on the ground. So I think we took your snow. I'm sorry. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Well, I mentioned like last night I was out storm chasing. Um, we had a, you know, everybody's talked about the monster low, the bombogenesis low up in Alaska. And that thing was impressive to look at. Um, set all types of records. I want to say now 924 millibars was the record for the Pacific Ocean that was just set, which, you know, is a very, very strong, very strong low. Yes. You know, we talk about 960s and 950s in hurricanes. 924 on a low pressure system is ungodly low. Yes. Super low, super strong. Very strong. And so, you know, we knew that we we're going to have waves of energy coming off of this thing. And so we had one of those areas that kind of spun up. Um, National Weather Service had a high wind warning up for the coast. They put a wind advisory up for the valley. And, you know, they're like between four and, you know, midnight. Okay. You know, obviously they got to set a start time, right? This is when the conditions could just start to deteriorate. Well, you look at the forecast discussion, they're like, the low is going to move through at 1 a.m great so i'm out running errands around seven or eight i uh, get a call from my weather association president he's like hey the wind's really starting to pick up here and i was like okay so i was like i'm gonna go for a ride let's go see what we can find so i'm out driving around and sure enough about 10:45, they dropped the wind advisory with the caveat oh we could still see some gust of 45 next thing i know the anemometer across from me is gusting to 55 Whoa. And I'm like, yes, this is great. The National Weather Service curse has been reversed. We're going to finally get some good winds. And sure enough, you know, it was pretty gusty the rest of the night. Driving home when, you know, you and I called and talked, um, my car was getting pushed along pretty nicely driving north on the freeway. I think I was probably going 60 in the car, and I think the speedometer was saying like 65. And I could feel like the car being pushed. I wasn't going into the headwind. So, you know, my car was being pushed up the freeway, which I was thankful for save me a little bit of gas i was gonna say yeah your car had to do a little less work (laughs) (laughs) so that was nice but it was great to have the wind um came home cracked the window open a little bit fell asleep to the sound of the wind blowing and i knew eventually around four or five it'd probably die off and sure enough it did but it was great to finally get kind of a little windstorm if you want to even classify that and i won't classify it as that but it was great to see you know at least our kind of Kind of our first maybe test of severe weather on the Oregon coast with the high wind warning. So uh, hopefully we get more of those. And now that my schedule's back to normal, maybe we'll get one on a weekend and I can actually go out to the coast to watch it. Yeah, hopefully that's that's what we want. We want more video from you and from Oregon. But I like high wind events. Like they're very interesting. They are. Just because it seems like there's nothing there driving it. You know what I mean? It's literally just a low pressure system that you can't physically see. Like when you have strong winds out of a thunderstorm, it makes sense. Like, Oh, it's the storm. And so when it's just because there's a really strong area of low pressure causing super high winds for a long period of time, it's very interesting. Yep. I mean, you start getting term like bent back occlusion. Um, you get the tail whip, you get, um, you know, areas of parallel flow. There's a whole number of things that just, you know, come into these storms and you're like, all right. You know, it's, it's a different forecast challenge. It's a different dynamic. It is something that I thoroughly love. It's something I want to understand more about. 
Um, you know, and I have a really good grasp about how wind flow works just, you know, based on my geography of where I am, because I do have the Oregon coast. I do have the Columbia river gorge. Um, I do live in a pretty large Valley, so I understand how the wind does flow in certain areas, but, um, you know, maybe I'll make that a new year's resolution to learn more about, you know, pressure flows and fluid flow and how all that fun stuff works. Yeah. And I mean, really the basics of wind is the atmosphere just trying to balance itself out because there's an area with high pressure, which is a lot of air molecules and then an area of low pressure, not a lot of air molecules. So the high pressure is sending air molecules to the low pressure and that's the wind. There was an article and I didn't link to it. I didn't retweet it and I need to go back and find it, but it was saying what makes the wind feel like it does. And that's an interesting point because, yes, we know it's air being blown, right? That's obviously. Mm-hmm. But what about the air being blown is what we feel? Think about that for a second. Whoa. Right? That's like one of those questions that's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing? It's like, it's like, whoa. Because <laughs> it's true. What is it? Are you feeling like the air molecules or are you... Feeling the wind. Wow. I don't know. You're going to make my head explode. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay. Are you looking it up? Yeah, I am. But I'm unfortunately, there's like nothing. Everybody's like, well, it's pressure. We know that. And you use anemometers to measure the wind speed. And then, you know, you use a wind vane to, you know, describe the direction. But, um, yeah. But as far as, like, what the wind is, yeah. as it blows past your arm and blows your hair around your face, there's no... It's probably because it's some kind of magic or sorcery or something. That's why it's not explainable. <laughs> <laughs> more or less yes but <laughs> to simplify it yep just yeah. a bunch of sorcery yeah, it, it's it's air in motion so i mean that that's the basic description right mm-hmm. um yeah yeah we'll we'll leave it at that for now we'll come back to this because it is some i want to i do want to find the article because it was fascinating to read um but you know it poses the question What's actually causing you to feel it? What hits you in the face? What blows your hair? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we'll get back to that. But um, so it's been a fun week. You know, it's been two weeks since we talked to you guys last. But uh, weather-wise, it's been pretty fascinating. I'm excited to see what 2021 brings. So on that note, Bonnie, what do you guys have coming up in Oklahoma? Uh, pretty quiet for this week. Highs in the 40s, so it'll be pretty chilly. Um, we have one day with a slight chance of rain, but nothing crazy. Winter precip on the horizon right now. Hopefully that changes, though. This is when it starts to get better for us. January, February is when we really, like, our winter weather picks up, and it's more, I don't know what word I'm trying to find, common, I guess, in this part of winter. But 2020 was like, haha, we're going to start in October, so... You know, we've been we've had a good winter so far, so hopefully it stays that way. Right. Well, out here in Oregon, it's going to be a lot of the same. It's rinse and repeat, rain showers, rain showers, rain showers. Um, nothing special. I mean, <laughs> probability of precipitation ranges between seventy and one hundred percent for the next four days. Oh, nice. Yeah, which means you're going to get wet. So, um, temperatures don't vary all that much. Highs. Upper 40s, maybe cracking 50. Lows in the lower 40s. So nothing special. Great for mountain snowpack. But other than that, it's kind of it's rinse and repeat. A lot of the weather nerds in the weather groups are starting to bust out the forks. We've been in winter, folks, for two weeks. Okay, let's not forget this. Meteorological winter has been around since December 1st. We got two more months of that. We have two months and four or two months and two weeks left of calendar winter. Let's not throw in the towel just yet. Right. Don't give up on it yet. There's still time. Yep. But that's how people are. 
Yeah. You know, you start to get frustrated, especially when you have those forecasts that don't verify, like the one that you had around Christmas that you were ready for and it didn't verify. And you just start to go, you know what? Fine. Yep. I'm done trying. (laughs) 100%. 100%. So we do hope that 2021 is going to be a good year for us. I have a feeling it will be a very good year. We're going to rebound from all the crap that we dealt with in 2020. Um, yes, which speaking of crap in 2020, I want to tell the one last like yes, punch in the please, face please, 2020 please, please, please. had. So it was Christmas night, like late at night, and my friend was over and we were just hanging out and whatever. My dog really 40. needed to go outside. He was like at the back door, like, let me out, let me out, let me out. So I let him out and he was outside for like five seconds and I hear like sneezing or coughing from him right outside the back door. So I let him in and he comes running in and he was just sprayed by a skunk. Oh, that is terrible. And he's like, it, first of all, I honestly had no idea skunk spray oil. I thought it was just like a, like a gaseous situation. I did not know it was an actual liquid and I did not know that it was highlighter green. Yes, that is fantastic, by the way. Oh, so the only good thing about that is that you could see exactly where it was on Clyde, and it was all down one side of him. And his mouth, he was all foaming at the mouth because I think a little bit got in his mouth, and it really irritates um, their mouth and their throat. And it can also cause temporary blindness if it gets in their eyes. Um, But it didn't appear to be in his eyes, and I just took him straight to the tub, I was washing him with his dog shampoo. My friend that was over, she Googled a recipe for shampoo for dogs for skunks, not tomato soup, but baking soda, peroxide, and Dawn dish soap. And you so happen she, to have all those, she, right? Yes. You know, I would hope almost every household has those things, but you never know. But yes, luckily I had all that. She just mixed them up in a bowl. We poured it all on him and on his face, and I was like blowing the the shower head thing through his mouth, trying to get everything out of his mouth. And yeah, he was probably in the tub for about 45 minutes. Like I was giving him the scrub down of his life. And then for the next two days after that, I had to have every single window in the house open for two days straight. It was terrible. (sighs) He scared me. I didn't like that at all. (laughs) Right. By the way, do you know that skunks will not spray other skunks? Which makes no sense because Clyde looks like a skunk. So I don't understand then what happened. <laughs> you might have messed with it. You might have messed with it. I, I think that's what happened. I think it was walking through the backyard and he smelled it. And that's why he wanted to go out. And then he got too close to it. And and then he got sprayed. But I threw away the towel that he came in and walked on because it got a little bit of oil on it. And then I threw away the sweater I was wearing when I gave him a bath. Right. And then I just washed, like, everything in the house. Shower curtains, sheets, towels, mopped the floor, like. And I'll tell you, that smell gets everywhere. It was in the fridge and freezer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and I didn't even, it didn't, I didn't even open those things during this whole ordeal. Oh, man. So, I mean, it was everywhere. It was inside of the oven. Like, it's, skunk smell is insanely strong and just gets into everything. So, if that ever happens and you have an animal come into your house that's been sprayed, just be prepared because you're going to have to air it out. You're going to have to clean everything. I've been lighting candles and spraying for breeze and lighting my little oil diffuser. Like I'm telling you, this house is clean and smelling pretty decent right Good. now. <laughs> Good. Well, according to VCAHospitals.com, the secretion itself is a yellow oil that will clean the most surfaces and contacts. Like all oils, it does not mix with water, obviously. Chemically, skunk spray contains as many as seven different volatile compounds, compounds that readily become gases that are responsible for its terrible smell. Oof. And I think that's why Dawn dish soap was important in that shampoo, because that helps bust up the grease, the oil, and then peroxide and baking soda to help with the smell. And I guess it can, like, neutralize the smell and stuff like that. But I mean, I couldn't get the smell out of the bathroom for some reason. And I thought it was in the drain maybe. And so I was like putting Drano down the drain and putting a bunch of baking soda down the drain. And I couldn't get the smell out and come to find out it was my little, um, suction cup, non-slip thing that I had in the bottom of the tub. And I just had to throw it out. It just, it smelled so bad. And so 
not a big deal that I had to throw it out, but I, it was just weird that I couldn't figure out where the smell was coming from. And then I figured out it was coming from that. So, well, and luckily I have a window in my bathroom, like in my shower, basically. So that was nice to be able to open that. And I just put a fan in the bathroom to just blow the smell out. It was, ugh, it was just a mess. And my friend that was over here, all her stuff smelled like skunk. Her whole car smelled like skunk. It, 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 her keys smelled like skunk. Like it was the most ridiculous thing. I hope that skunk dies. Oh, I hope it gets eaten by a cat. <laughs> Do skunks get eaten by cats? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I hope it gets eaten by a bear. Oh, that works too. You, got, you guys have bears in Oklahoma City? <laughs> I mean, I don't know anymore. I mean, we freaking have skunks just walking through people's backyards. And my friend that was over here, she blamed Clyde. And I was like, no, Clyde was defending his backyard. That skunk was trespassing. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Coyotes, foxes, dogs, bobcats, mountain lions, badgers, and big owls can all eat skunk, but rarely do. Okay, well, if we get enough of those animals together in one little army, then I think then we'll be good. So I need all those to gather and come and get this skunk because it hurt my puppy. I I hate to tell you this, but according to research, it shows that less than 5% of skunks' mortalities are caused by predators. Well, whatever. You're more, likely to, run over hope You're more likely to run over a skunk. Ugh. Which is also terrible. So imagine that smell when you run over a skunk, but you just roll your windows down on your car and it's basically gone. Or you drive past a skunk that was just run over and you get that smell. Imagine that, but like 10 times worse and it's everywhere. Yes. Um, according to wildlife-removal.com, there is no legal or registered poison designed to kill skunks. Also, poison is a cowardly and inhumane way to kill something. If you absolutely must kill the animal, try using either a body grip trap or shooting it. Okay, well, I don't have either one of those things. That's why I just want nature to do it. That's why I just want it to get eaten by a cat. Right. Or freeze in the snow. Um, skunks hate certain odors if they have room to judge. Citrus, ammonia, mothballs, and predator urine, dog, coyote, are the three smells that can scare off skunks. If you use mothballs or ammonia-based soaked cotton balls, be sure to keep them away from children. Huh. Interesting. Because, you know, one thing it told me was if you boil vinegar on the stove, that helps kill the smell mm -hmm. in the air. Mm -hmm. And I think that this whole spray down from the skunk happened by this bush that's kind of right outside my back door. So I would, after I boiled that vinegar for a while, I would take the remainder and I would go and pour it on that bush. <laughs> Just because I didn't know if there would be like oil left over on it. I just, I don't know. I was just trying to kill the smell from around the house. No, I think So I was pouring vinegar outside my back door, basically. Well, that's what I said. But that's like, like when you also told me the story, that's why I said call pest control because they'll be able to come out and tell you, one, if it's living underneath your house, which would be terrible, or most likely, like you said, it's probably living in the drainage ditch behind your house. Yeah, because I've, my neighbor says that he's got security cameras around and that he has seen in his backyard, raccoons, cats, skunks. So, I mean, they're living, yeah, out here somewhere in the back. And I've smelled a skunk out here before, pretty strong in the backyard. But, it, you know, it didn't spray the dog, obviously. But, yeah, we've got weird wildlife, and I live in the middle of the freaking city. Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. Um, the one that blows my mind are the people that keep skunks as pets. I know, but I think you can have those little you, glands yep, removed. You do have the scent glands removed, yep. Which, by the way, they're like two little sacks right yep. inside of their butt. Yep, right at the egg, right at the exit. If they're a human, <laughs> they would be called uh, yeah, hemorrhoids. Just thinking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just thinking, yep, that's exactly what they are. Anyways. Oof. Yep, so that was my Christmas night, and then... The the few days after and he's fine now he's got he it's he's got a little remnants in his beard of of skunk smell and so i've been using like dog baby wipes basically to wipe his face a lot and i also got these weird little wipes that are for teeth brushing and you just put your finger like you wrap the wipe around your finger and oh, yeah. put it in their mouth and brush their teeth yep 
And I'm just, I've been doing that in case he's got any like in his mouth still or on his lips or something. And it's been cleaning his teeth. So there's that. But yeah, he still has a tiny, tiny hint in his beard. But other than that, he's good. And he didn't get sick. He didn't lose his sight or anything. And it says it can upset their stomach. And he didn't get an upset tummy. In fact, after all of that, it was like 1130 at night. And he was like, can I please have a little more food? So I fed him again. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I mean, dogs rebound quickly sometimes. Yeah. And I wanted him to have something in his tummy in case he did get any oil and swallow it. So, you know, help settle it down or whatever. And I gave him a saltine cracker. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure he appreciated that. My little baby boy. Oh, we are big fans of Clyde. Yep. So he's he survived a skunk attack. <laughs> We're so happy. We are so happy. Well, another great edition of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast, kicking 2021 off in grand fashion. I am Bobby in Oregon. And I am Bonnie in Oklahoma. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye.